You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. Just got back from the Emirates Stadium, uh, literally walked in the house about 10 minutes ago and decided to jump on to bring you guys this live edition of the podcast. Um, obviously disappointing, you know, obviously disappointed, I should say. That's the overriding feeling off the back of tonight's game. That's the you know, that's the truth of it. That's where where we're at tonight. You know, looking at that performance was obviously more of a worry than anything else. And I know that I talked quite big about how important the result was. Um, and obviously that's massive. But when you don't get the result you want, you can sometimes find some consolation in the performance. And I don't think that today we can say that. I don't think that we can come away from the Emirates Stadium this evening pleased with the performance or even content with the performance. I think it was under par. And there's a lot of things that we're going to discuss during this edition of the podcast. And look, uh, first of all, I want to say a massive hello to those of you um, who uh, who are joining us live at the moment. If you're based here in the UK or in Europe, especially because it's incredibly late, I understand that. Um, you know, that's what happens when we play at eight o'clock on a Monday night. Um, you know, want to get back from the game and and get on as soon as possible. But sometimes, obviously, there's a bit of of a delay by the time I get home and and get set up. I think it probably suits those of you who are in other parts of the world who for who for uh, this time is probably more suitable than the usual times we stream. So big hello to you guys as well. And of course, if you're listening via the audio platforms as well, um, hope you guys are all well too. Let's say a few hellos before we dive right into it. There is plenty to unpack, of course, so we're going to do it as best as we can right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Uh, big hello to Creambone, to Mark Williams, to the modern Guna, uh, to Inter, to Michael, who's just signed up to become a member of the YouTube channel. Michael, thank you so much, mate. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, really, really appreciate it. Welcome uh, to the Chronicles of Aguna family. And if you too would like to join the Chronicles of Aguna family, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description, or if you're watching via your PC, you can click the join button. Big hello to Curtis, uh, to the Wandering Minstrel, to uh, Messi, to Junior Gunner, to Mark, to Alejandro, uh, to Feradun, to Ajiwan, to uh, Dave, to Ronnie, um, to Wesbird, to Trevor, to Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Kana, to Bonster, to Guna for Life, to Tuco, to all of you. Hope you're all well. Um, yeah, let's, um, let's start trying to unpack it then. Let's start trying to make sense of, of what we saw at the Emirates Stadium tonight. And the point I, I really want to kind of hammer home at the start of this was, I don't think that Arsenal lost tonight because of a lack of effort. I thought we, oh, I say lost, it feels like a loss. I don't think Arsenal failed to win tonight because of a lack of effort. I think Arsenal failed to win tonight because of a lack of quality and some poor tactical decisions. And look, a lot of you accuse me of never wanting to criticise Mikel Arteta. Some of you say that I back him blindly. Some of you say that, um, you know, what was it? Someone was saying to me earlier on today that on the 90 min gas tank that I wasn't going in too hard on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because it would make me look silly when I talk about Mikel Arteta, and that is absolutely not the case. You know, we do highlight Mikel Arteta's faults, Mikel Arteta's mistakes. We do a tactical breakdown on that uh, the following day after a game, and we'll be doing that this week, just like we do every week. I'll be bringing you that show tomorrow, live at around about midday UK time. But I thought that there were some players out there tonight that really put a shift in, and I thought there were some players out there who didn't. I thought there were players who were caught out because of a lack of quality, because of a lack of 
um, awareness of what was going on around them. And I think it's important that we we work our way through the team and we talk about some individual performances and what Mikel Arteta so clearly got wrong tonight. Let's start with with the goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale. I thought Aaron Ramsdale had a good game. You know, he, I think in the first half he was, um, you know, he, he was distributing the ball really well. I thought he made a couple of really smart saves. Um, I thought for the second goal, he might have done a little bit better. I don't know if that's me being overly critical. And look, I'm recording this podcast having just walked in the door from Emirates Stadium. So admittedly, I've not watched anything back other than what I saw at the time. Uh, but the ball was quite central. I know it was absolutely hammered in. Um, so maybe that's me being overly critical. But, you know, I thought overall we had a decent game. I, I guess it's probably easier for me to pick out the players that I thought had a shit game tonight because there's a fair few. Um, again, not for a lack of trying, but because of a lack of quality, because of lapses in concentration at certain points. Um, Takahiro Tomiyasu is one that I want to pick out tonight because I thought he was... How how can I put this without coming across as being crazy reactionary? Because I, I don't like to be that. I don't want to be that. But I thought Takahiro Tomiyasu showed tonight that he is quite one-dimensional in a lot of ways. I think we know that he's not going to be as adventurous as Kieran Tierney. And it's why we've talked so often about him being well-suited to this system. We know that Arsenal are a little bit lopsided in that sense. And when I got into the ground and I heard or was told and realised that Wilfred Zaha wasn't playing and wasn't available for Crystal Palace, I thought that Takahiro Tomiyasu would get away with quite a comfortable evening. And that wasn't the case at all. He was dragged wider than he wants to be. I thought he failed to kind of get forward regularly enough to help us create the overload on the right-hand side. I thought he gave the ball away a few times. I thought he was in panic mode way too often in the sense of when the ball did drop to him, sometimes in a defensive position, there was no composure. There was no, let me look up and see what's on. It was, let me just smash the ball forward. And, and I think the way you sum up Takahiro Tomiyasu is that he's a good defender but not much else. He's not going to offer you much more, uh, you know, much going forward. He's not going to offer you a lot in terms of taking the ball forward, in terms of making that overlapping run frequently. And I think at times when you're playing against sides that come and they sit deep, um, you know, or have something to protect, that's a problem. I think you need your fullbacks to give you more. But having said that, I didn't think Kieran Tierney did it tonight either. I thought that Kieran Tierney was was poor as well. I thought that Kieran Tierney simply didn't want to take on his man. There was always this hesitance in Kieran Tierney tonight. And when we've talked about him being this incredibly uh, adventurous wingback who gets forward, who creates things, and at times we've talked about us being almost too reliant on him doing that. Well, tonight he didn't do that at all. I don't think in the second half I remember Kieran Tierney once taking on his man. I, I Honestly, hand on heart, I can't think of a time that Kieran Tierney took on his man uh, in that second period. The only time he got forward with any effect was when he got forward and that ball broke to him and he smashed the crossbar when Arsenal were looking for the equaliser. But every time he got the ball on that left-hand side, it, there was a reluctance to take on his man and he would just play the ball back inside, play the ball back short, play it safe, and we lacked any penetration whatsoever. Um, I mean, moving on to the centre-backs, I thought Gabriel had, a, had a, a decent game. I thought Ben White had a decent game as well. But what frustrated me about Ben White tonight was, again, a reluctance to be a little bit braver in possession, a reluctance to step out of that back line. And I thought that was one of the reasons that we bought Ben White, was because... He is somebody who, um, you know, was more progressive in terms of his mindset from the heart of our defence. And and what Ben White seems to do, and I've, I've picked this out quite a bit, actually, this season, I've mentioned it on a number of occasions, is he receives the ball and he puts his foot on it 
and he tries to draw the opponent out and he waits and he, he wants to bring them in and then he wants to spring a pass either to Gabriel or to the right back or sometimes into the midfield. But what happens when a team don't come? What happens when a team say you can have the ball there? Well, then that requires the centre-half to be braver. It requires the centre-half to pick up the ball and be confident enough in his own ability to step into that midfield, maybe sidestep a man and get into a more, um, you know, uh, ambitious, advanced position and try and make something happen that way and create that overloading midfield by stepping in and becoming that extra man. I think there's so much more that Ben White could be doing in that side of the game. And I'm not really seeing it. Well, I didn't see it tonight anyway, and it was a concern. I think when you move further forward, I thought that Thomas Partey had an absolute nightmare. He was so sloppy in possession tonight, even before um, he gave the ball away for the first goal for the equaliser. I think there was just moments where he he just looked completely A, overrun, which is on the manager, and we'll come on to talk about that in a minute. But also when he was in possession, I just think he looked a little bit sloppy, a little bit languid. And I thought in the first half, um, you know, he got away with giving the ball away a couple of times because he worked back on a few occasions and won the ball back. And listen, look, when I'm talking about these players, and I just want to make it clear because Stan the Man says uh, in the comments, we can't go lauding players like they're Cafu reincarnated one week, then saying they're not good enough the next, especially when they've only played a handful of games. Referring to Takahiro Tomiyasu. And no, I, I'm, I'm not saying that, mate. I, I just think he had a poor game tonight. And I think if we're being completely honest, we've kind of seen signs of the limitations um, that that Tomiyasu has. And, and a, a part of me feels like that's probably okay overall and over the course of the season, he'll be fine because he plays a very specific role. And it's one that is, I think, quite well suited to Mikel Arteta's system. But there will be times where that needs to change. There will be times where you need your defenders to be a little bit braver, whether that be in the case of the right back, bombing on that little bit further forward, because he always seems to take up this inside position, which feels like a bit of a nothing position at times when you're attacking anyway. Um, and whether that be in Ben White from the centre-back position, just stepping into that midfield a little bit more frequently and creating that, as I say, overload, being the extra man um, and taking players out of the game or, or bypassing Crystal Palace's press by having the quality to beat a man and, and, and step forward. So I think there's there's just elements to the game that, that those players needed to do better tonight. And it's not me, um, you know, saying that Tommy Asu is poor and that he should, you know, never play for Arsenal again. I just think there's a there was a couple of limitations that I've kind of always suspected Tommy Asu had that really were on show tonight in particular. Going back to the midfield, I thought Martin Odegaard started the game well, but faded. Um, faded. And if you cast your minds back to the preview podcast where I talked about the team I would select, you will remember me, and I remember this clearly, saying that I felt that when going up against the midfield trio that was likely to be Luka Milivojevic, MacArthur and Conor Gallagher, we probably shouldn't play Martin Odegaard alongside Thomas Partey. And I think a lot of the reason that Thomas Partey looked poor and looked overrun was because that midfield that Crystal Palace have is very efficient. It's very physical. Um, it's got more quality in it than people give them credit for as well. Conor Gallagher, fantastic player, but incredibly hard worker. Luka Milivojevic does his job really well. MacArthur's a dirty so-and-so, probably should have been sent off, in my opinion, for that horrible challenge on um, on Bukayo Saka. But we'll come on to talk about Mike Dean in a bit because I've got plenty to say about him. But I said at the time that I felt that because of Crystal Palace's midfield, you had to go with Lakonga. And I know Lakonga made the mistake that led to Crystal Palace's second. And again, we'll come on to talk about that a little bit later on. But I did think when Mikel Arteta made that change at halftime, and I don't know how much of it was down to Saka picking up an injury and how much of it was Mikel Arteta recognising that the midfield was getting overrun. Because let's be honest, Crystal Palace weren't just good in the, in the second half. Crystal Palace were good from 10 minutes after we took the lead. 
And, and there were signs in that first half that they were going to find a way back into the game. And there were signs that they were just starting to overrun us in the middle of the park, that their superiority in terms of the physical level um, and the fact that they had three proper central midfielders in there was going to be a problem for us. So I think it was bad on Mikel Arteta's part to start the way he did, to start with Odegaard alongside Partey, because after the first 10, 15 minutes, it was it was rubbish. Um, you know, it was. You know, I, I thought it was silly to make that decision, but I kind of stood there at half-time, and obviously at half-time, Arsenal 1-0 up, and you're going, well, you know what, Mikel? At least you've seen it. At least you've recognised that the midfield thing, it isn't working, and you need to make a change. And he did that, and I thought... Is that a sign that the in-game management, something that he's been heavily criticised for throughout his Arsenal career so far, is that getting better? Has Mikel Arteta spotted a problem and acted quickly, been proactive rather than reactive in trying to sort it out? But unfortunately for Mikel Arteta, and this is where I've got a tiny bit of sympathy for him tonight, but, you know, overall, I, I, you know, I'm not defending him. I, I'm going to make a lot of points that, look at this in a completely different way, but can he legislate for for the mistakes that Partey and Lokonga made tonight? I don't think you can. I don't think as a manager you can legislate for that. And that's where sometimes I have sympathy for managers. I think it's where sometimes I want to be a little bit protective of them because in a football match, there are so many variables that dictate the outcome, that dictate the result. And a lot of those variables, as much as we like to think they are, are not in the manager's hands. And I think Partey getting caught in possession and Lokonga getting caught in possession the way they did is partly due to the way we're trying to play. And I accept that. And, and there's definitely a case to be made there. But it's partly because they've they've made individual errors. And individual errors feel chronic with this Arsenal side. Individual errors feel uh, like something we're almost haunted by and just cannot weed out no matter who plays. Is it because other teams maybe get away with them a little bit more often because they're set up better to get away with them? I think playing the way we play at times, people call it negative and it, it is negative in some aspects, but it's also quite... I, I don't know what the word is. I, I think also the way we try and press and the shapes that we try and build in attack sometimes, or when we're trying to break a team down, the way we push our fullbacks on, the way we get our midfield pairing to kind of split apart where you see one of them dropping into the position that Lakonga was doing so frequently in the second half. One of the issues with that is that when you do lose possession, it isn't easy to get back into shape. Sometimes it's impossible. And at this level, people will punish you. So I think it's a combination of, of things that are, are contributing to these mistakes coming out, um, you know, and and these mistakes frequently haunting us. But I just, you know, it, it's so frustrating because, you know, Thomas Partey receives the ball. He's got to be aware of what's going on around him. And he isn't. He completely isn't. And Lakonga. You know, Arsenal are trying to get the winning goal and Lakonga then goes and makes a silly mistake and gets caught. But unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, we were made to pay. And and you look at Ben White and you look at some of the kind of defending in those goals, especially in the second one. We backed off and we backed off and we backed off him and we backed off of Edouard to the point where you've given him the opportunity to get a strike at goal. And, and maybe if we were a little bit more proactive in going out to confront him that little bit quicker, that doesn't happen. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But look, a lot of it is on the manager tonight because the reality is that aside from the way the goals came about, did we deserve to take all three points tonight? And 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 the answer is no. And why is that? Because again, Arsenal don't create with anywhere near enough regularity. Again, Arsenal struggle to break teams down. Again, Arsenal look pretty uninspiring in the final third. I mean, the goal that we did score, you know, great work from Pepe. He gets a wonderful shot off. It's a fantastic save from Guaita. He does everything right, to be fair. He parries the ball wide. And Aubameyang's quick to react. And, 
you know, Aubameyang is one of the few players tonight that can come out of that game with his head held high, I feel. Because I thought work rate-wise, he was really, really good. I thought he really worked for the team and really tried to set the tone in terms of the press. But unfortunately, the rest of the team didn't back him up in that sense. And we all know that to press effectively, you have to do it cohesively. To press effectively, you need to do it as a unit. There needs to be waves of that press. And those waves need to be closely behind one another so that it can be effective. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And why didn't it happen? Is it on the players? Is it on the manager? Is it because people are tired? Is it, I don't know what the excuse is. I don't know what the reason is. But Mikel Arteta has to take a lot of responsibility for the fact that we see very little movement in the final third. That even when we were chasing uh, an equaliser right at the death, which we fortunately got in the end, we didn't look as though we had a clue what to do when we crossed the halfway line. And that's worrying because we sit there and we talk about Smith Rowe and we talk about Saka and we talk about Odegaard and all the creativity we supposedly have in this side. And it just seems to evade us far too often. I've talked about it time and time and time again. You rely on Smith Rowe, you rely on Saka, you rely on Odegaard, you rely on Ramsdale, you rely on Ben White. It is an almighty gamble. And unfortunately, none of those players, not a single one of them, and I don't care if people want to defend Saka and Emil Smith Rowe because they're our own, etc., etc., which obviously means in the eyes of a lot of people, they get far more leeway. They are not capable, none of those players, of performing at the highest level every single week. So what do you do? What's the neck? What's the kind of, you know, I've said it time and time again. I said it throughout the summer that these kids are not going to get you at the level you need to be at week in, week out. Every now and again, they'll turn up, it will click and everybody will look great and everybody will be delighted. But it's not going to happen every week. It's not even going to happen every two weeks. It comes far too infrequently. And that's the crux of why this team are seemingly, you know, a long way away from getting where we need to be. I get the approach. I get the idea. I get the the notion of trying to build a team for the future. It all makes sense in theory. But the fact is, this is Arsenal Football Club. And as a football club, we have to have, as a football club of this size, we have to have a baseline standard. And unfortunately, in the eyes of a lot of us, we're not meeting that baseline standard right now. And and that this is a problem. And it's why Mikel Arteta is, is going to live or die by how quickly he can get these players, the Sackers, the Smith Rows, the Odegaards, the Ramsdales, the Whites. You know, Ramsdale, I mentioned because of his age, but, you know, he's not really done an awful lot wrong. But the quicker, you know, Mikel Arteta will only survive at Arsenal if he can accelerate the process of them getting from the level they're currently at to the level that they need to be at for Arsenal to compete for European football. And and it's a big, big worry for me because I'm not sure that it's going to work. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. And look, it, it's been a nagging doubt for me in the back of my mind for months. You, you guys that tune in regularly will know that. This is not the first time I'm saying it, but we saw it again. You know, we saw it again tonight. What did Saka really contribute tonight? And I know he got kicked horribly by MacArthur. I thought that was a red card, by the way. Um, you know, and he's obviously, you know, picked up a bit of a knock. And I do think that whilst I've given Mikel some credit for maybe spotting what was going on in the midfield, I think the fact that Saka picked up that knock probably helped him in his decision um, to kind of take him off. Did Emil Smith throw off at all that much tonight? No. Did Odegaard? No. Um, you know, and it, it, it's, it's a worry. It's a massive, massive concern. You know, I thought that another player, you know, I, I talked about Aubameyang and said that he can come out of it with with his head held high because I thought he he tried his utmost. I thought he worked incredibly hard. I also thought Alexander Lacazette was a player 
that could come away from that with his head held high. Obviously got, um, obviously got the, um, the the goal, the equaliser. You know, it's a, it was a it came as a relief, but you know there were some people around me going absolutely bonkers about it. Um, I wasn't going bonkers about it. I did give it a fist pump, um, and, and obviously I enjoyed it. But you know, it's not the result that we wanted at the end of the day. And the other thing that really pissed me off tonight, I got to be honest, and I don't care if this offends people. And and I know there'll be some people out there that will say they've got their reasons or say that they had to catch a train back to wherever it is they're going back to um, or whatever. But the way the stadium emptied out before that equaliser went in was shambolic. It was awful. It was awful. And and imagine, you know, you being a player and you, you, you're looking around, you've just scored a 94th, 95th minute equaliser. And you look around and the stadium's empty. I mean, those people that left will regret leaving because they, they missed the goal. And, and you always get that, oh, you know, I missed the goal. I'm sorry. You sign up to go to a football match. You stay there for the for the entirety of the football match, man. Come on. I I can never get my head around people that do that. And, and as I say, there will be, you know, certain cases where, you know, they, if they don't get leave a minute before the end, they're going to, you know, miss their train and not be able to get back to wherever it is they're going to, et cetera, et cetera. But just in general, there's far too many people leaving the game early. And I think that is a, you know, I don't know, is that a sign of the disconnect between the fans and the club at times? I'm not sure, because I felt like in recent weeks and at periods in the game tonight, even when Arsenal weren't playing very well, um, you know, the fans got behind them. Um, and and I think that the fans, for the most part, in the stadium have got behind their team this season. And that's been one of the positives. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Stan says maybe it's their way of showing their displeasure um, at what they're seeing. Feridun says don't blame the fans for leaving early. Um, you know, peanut butter jelly time. Great screen name says, Harry, I agree, but they paid for their ticket so they can do as they please. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bloody crime, but it just it, it doesn't sit right with me. It never has. I, I honestly have never left the football match early. Because when I allocate my time to go into that football match, you know, I, I I'm I'm going there, um, and I'm not. What's the point in leaving early? You know, we're always crying about how much we pay for tickets. Why would you not want to get your full ninety minutes worth? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But look, it's um, it's a it, it was a worrying performance, and I I saw there was a comment which has um disappeared up the chat, so I can't find it. Uh, just now, but it was something along the lines of why does it take a single result for you to start worrying, Harry? It's not a single result. The things that I'm frustrated about, disappointed about, concerned about off the back of tonight's game are things that have been there, that things that have been on show for a while. You know, I, I like to think I'm not massively reactionary and I like to think that I do look at the bigger picture when it comes uh, to a lot of things and a lot of issues around our football club. And and to see things that we've seen frequently under Mikel Arteta prove to be a problem and prove to be our downfall is obviously going to cause me some concern. And I really did genuinely feel like having won those three consecutive games and then having gone and got that draw at Brighton, which, you know, we didn't play well in, that we had maybe turned the corner. And, and I thought it was really, really important that we did, you know, make sure we didn't lose tonight to keep that kind of unbeaten run going. And I know it's not good enough. You know, you've got to win games at home to Crystal Palace if you want to finish in the top six. I know that. Did a show yesterday talking about the importance of the game. But, um, you know, if you're going to look for a silver lining, if you're going to look for a positive, the positive is that, that's two games in a row now where we've been crap and and we've not lost either of them. That has to be that you for all the faults, for all the criticisms, for all the things that went wrong tonight, you have to at least to be fair in your analysis, give the players their dues in terms of them 
not giving up, fighting till the end. And there were some that did that better than others. I think it's really important that we do try and see that silver lining as well, because otherwise as football fans, you just go mad. Um, you know, we, we, we nicked a point, point that we didn't deserve. It's more than we deserved. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, people will say, and I can see Jeffrey in the chat says that's a low bar. Yeah. You know, I, I've accused sections of our fans, though, at times for setting the bar too high. Maybe I am setting it too low. Maybe there's a, a middle ground that needs to be found and maybe somebody else would be better positioned to kind of establish that than me. But I just think that you score a goal in the last kick of the game that gets you a point that you weren't earning. You You can't be completely disappointed still. There has to be a tiny little silver lining uh, that you can take away from that. But, you know, and, and look, we go and beat Villa on um, on Friday and that goes some way in um, in restoring kind of our form. But it, yeah, I talked about how imperative it was that we got all six points because I genuinely believed that. I was really kind of excited by the prospect of us potentially being in the top four going into next weekend, given the way we started the season, given the noise that there seems to be constantly around Mikel Arteta, around the team, I, I thought that would be a really nice kind of thing to achieve so that we could then kind of take stock again and maybe we'd be seen or or, or viewed with a lot more respect as a football club. And unfortunately, that's, that's not going to happen now. But, they, you know, the way we fought and the way we battled and the way we didn't give up to the final whistle is obviously some sort of positive and you have to see it that way. Patrick Vieira will be gutted, gutted because his side deserved to win that tonight. And I think you saw from his reaction on the sidelines, um, you know, that that he was really kind of kicked in the chest by, by Conceit or really felt like a punch in the chest for him uh, when he saw that goal go in. Let's um let's get some of your questions in the chat box. I know there have been quite a few coming through, but I was kind of in the flow of of downloading my thoughts. Uh, off the back of tonight's game. So if if you have put a good question in there and I haven't come to it, pop it in there again. Um, put a little cue at the beginning of it so it's easier for me to pick them out in the chat. And I just want to make one final point on, on one player uh, while you're doing that. And then I'll come and take questions for the last sort of 15 odd minutes of the show. Um, remember, we are going to be bringing you the tactical analysis show tomorrow. Uh, that'll be live at around about 12.15 p.m. where we'll be analysing what went wrong tactically. Um, I'd have slept on it. I'd have watched the game back by then. And I'll hopefully be able to provide you a little bit more insight than what I'm doing now, because this is just for me um, a bit of therapy, a bit of a download. Um, Craig makes a point, um, which I'll come to in a minute. Big shout out to Craig. I uh, hope you're well, mate. Uh, I haven't actually seen Mikel Arteta's interview at this point. Uh, I literally walked in the door, set the thing to go live, grabbed myself a glass of water and made my way into the studio to to start recording. So um, I haven't seen it. I am going to watch it back and we'll probably reflect on that in a little bit more detail in terms of what he's had to say um, on tomorrow's show, just so that I can do it from a more informed place. But just before we get into the questions, that the, the final point I wanted to make was around Nicola Pepe. And I just, you know, I was watching the first half and I was standing there kind of thinking to myself and going, this guy gets a lot of stick and this guy gets a lot of criticism, but he does make shit happen. You know, he does make things happen. He does cause chaos. He does cause problems. And there were some wonderful touches from Nicolas Pepe in that first period. His shot was what led to a Bamiang. Uh, opening the scoring, but equally, he can be so poor all within the same 90 minutes. And I thought in the second half, he was awful. He didn't offer us anything. His touch was bad. His crossing was appalling. There was so much wrong with Nicolas Pepe's second half performance. And also, the other thing I wanted to, to just mention about Pepe was in the first half, there was a point where he and Emil Smith-Rowe swap positions and it was for a good 15 minutes or so and what I noticed that maybe if you were watching it at home you you might not have picked up on was Mikel Arteta losing his rag with him you know he lost his rag with Nicolas Pepe on multiple occasions during that first period because 
you kind of got the feeling that he was telling him you need to come back and he wasn't doing it. There were a couple of occasions where he pressed really high up the pitch. Palace beat the press and Nicola Pepe was kind of jogging back. And maybe part of the mindset is Tommy Asu's not very adventurous, which means as a winger, I can do that a little bit more and, and be in a higher starting position. But that's not the kind of attitude I wanted to see. And, um, and I thought after that first 15, 20 minutes or so, where he looked really lively, really sharp, did a brilliant bit of skill down by our own corner flag when he tried to get out of a situation. I, I, other than that, though, outside of that period of the game, I thought it was very, very average. I think that he's better from the left. And I think that Saka's better from the right. And I cannot for the life of me understand why Mikel Arteta is so reluctant to do that. Is it because of the fullbacks? Is it because of the balance? Is it that he doesn't feel... Pepe compliments Tierney, vice versa, and that Saka compliments Tomiyasu. I don't know. Um, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, that's one of the questions I'd love to ask Mikel Arteta, but um, I don't suspect we'll we'll get any answer. Uh, let's um, let's see what we've got here uh, in the chat box in terms of your questions. Now, uh, Don Saki says, "Harry, are you convinced with this manager?" I wouldn't say I'm completely convinced. I, I don't think I've ever been completely convinced on Mikel Arteta. It's one of the great um, misconceptions that people have about me. I've forever said that I think he deserves a fair chance. And I didn't feel that after one full season, given the turnover of staff, given all the issues that he had to contend with, aside from actual footballing ones, that one full season was enough. And I've said repeatedly that this season the jury's out and I will be a lot more harsher in my judgments and in my assessments of Mikel Arteta and I stick by that. And up until now, we've lost four of our eight Premier League games. We've won three and we've drawn one. It's not good enough at this moment in time. It's as simple as that. It's not good enough in terms of results, but it's also not good enough in terms of performances. And obviously there is a direct correlation between those two things, but sometimes results can go your way. Margins can go your way. Incidents can go your way and it can mask a lot of things. And I think we're starting to see in the last couple of fixtures that there are still a lot of problems there. There are still a lot of development areas. And the big question now is Mikel Arteta, the man, to rectify those issues and take us forward. I don't know. Uh, big shout out to Craig, who said uh, he said in his interview that they wanted to hold on to the 1-0 and not go for a second. That's unacceptable from the manager. Yeah, look, I think there's a there's a balance to be found there. I think that you obviously want to go out and look for the second, but you having the 1-0 lead obviously need to be a bit aware and mindful of the risks and the gaps that you're leaving. But as I said earlier on in the show, mate, I, I think that, we can talk a lot about the tactical side of it. And there were mistakes tonight. And I will highlight those in a little bit more depth tomorrow once I've had another opportunity to watch the game. But sometimes you can't legislate for individual errors or you don't legislate for individual errors. You know, you'd never sit there as a manager, uh, I'm sure, in the build-up to a game and say, what if Thomas Partey gives the ball away in a in a worrying position when everybody else is pushed high up the pitch? What if Sambi Lakonga does the same? So I think for me, you can't legislate for those things. But on the face of it, the fact that if he said that, that he only wanted to hold on to the one nil lead, it's not, you know, it's it's not something that, that really washes with me. It's not something that I really accept. But I think pragmatism is necessary with this side because because of all the faults I've been talking about. I actually thought at the end of the first half, look, we hadn't played well after we scored the goal, but you could see a resilience in the way we were defending, a desire to keep the ball out of the back of our own net. And then a couple of mistakes occurred. And again, I don't think it was for a lack of trying, as I've said repeatedly throughout this show, which is why I talk about that resilience and that desire to keep the ball out. I think that was still there. But Arsenal just got caught napping on a couple of occasions. Unfortunately, in this Premier League, and it's a point I keep making, the majority of teams are good enough to make you pay when you make those kind of mistakes. And Crystal Palace proved that. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Stan, the man says, want to see us bounce back on Friday and keep our run going. Agreed. And it is a run. It's a run of unbeaten fixtures. And if you'd have said that we'd be unbeaten in five um, 
in the Premier League after the way we started. I think most of us would have taken that. Could we have had a couple more points along the way? Surely. Um, definitely, in fact. And we'd have all loved that, but it wasn't to be. Uh, Bungle says, as usual, I woke up at 3.45 a.m. for this one. Should I wake up at 3.45 a.m. for the Villa game or not bother? Mate, stay in bed. Uh, stay in bed, honestly. Um, there's a couple of questions very similar to some of the ones I've already taken. So if I skim over your question, that is why. Um, but I just I, I don't want to keep repeating the same stuff. You'll get bored. You'll turn off. Um, but just a quick reminder before we continue, if you haven't done so already, please do. Um, hit that like button. It really, really does help the channel. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, we'd love to have you as part of the Chronicles of Aguna family too. So if you'd like to become a member, you can click on the link in the description. That really, really helps. But look, there's over 300 of you watching us live right now, even at this crazy hour, uh, which is incredible. So um, there's no reason why we can't get the likes up. In fact, let's see where we are on that right this moment in time we have got 71 on the board surely we can get that up to 100 hit the like button if you haven't done so already make sure you subscribe if you're new uh jim Housen says will arsenal be provoked into action for conte if man united make an early move look mate i listen i'm a massive antonio conte fan but i don't think antonio conte would even consider coming to arsenal football club at this moment in time there's too much to be done um, the club is not in a good place. The team is not in a good enough place. Antonio Conte knows his level, knows his stock, knows how highly that stock is valued. And I don't think would want to come to a club um, that are not challenging for the biggest honours in the game. And the reality is that we're a million miles away from that at this moment. Um, peanut butter jelly times. Can we finally say bye to Pepe? Three seasons are not good enough for a 75 million player. I don't think you'll get any better. I don't think he's a £75 million player. I've always said that, but that's not his fault. That's what the club agreed to pay for him, um, which is on us. I think that the level of expectation around Nicolas Pepe as a result of that transfer fee has always been very, very big. And in my opinion, unfair at times. He blows hot and cold, you know, but the, the fact is with Nicolas Pepe that even when he has crap games, which I thought he had a crap game for the most part of tonight's game, he still produces moments and chaos and that leads to goals. And you can't say that about Saka and you can't say that about Smith-Rowe. You can't say they are involved directly in goals anywhere near as frequently as Nicolas Pepe is. And that's why for me, whether you think he's a £75 million player or not, he is good enough to be in this side um, because it's no good comparing him to other people or people outside of our football club, compare him to those that are keeping, that that may or, or could keep him out of the team. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Tuco says, basically, don't bother. Um, checking out Arteta's interview, says he's made lots of excuses. Don't waste your time, Harry. Uh, Refe says, will future teams realise it's easy to press against Arsenal now? Vieira definitely saw the Brighton game. Yeah, you know, I think that, I think Vieira's press tonight actually was very clever because I didn't think it was an out-and-out -out press. I thought at times they were really aggressive with it and I felt like they were aggressive with it up to a certain point. They were aggressive with it up to the midfield line, I felt. They won the ball back twice, obviously, um, that way and that led to two goals. So obviously it, it worked, but I didn't really feel they pressed our back line too frequently. So Patrick Vieira being quite smart in that, in terms of playing with what I would call maybe a half press in order to close us down in midfield, know the boundary, know not to, to go beyond that and leave themselves exposed, knowing that it's what Arsenal wanted them to do. So I thought Patrick Vieira played it, played it really, really well. Uh, Lyndon says that, what do you think about Tierney? I think that he doesn't add too much attacking value. He wasn't able to cross the ball. So there was a lot of back passes. Yeah, I, I thought it was poor tonight. I, I really do. Uh, Westbird says, uh, why, when we went 1-0 up, did we as a team drop into a defensive shape and decide to sit back and not kill the game? And throughout the whole game, we were so tepid and negative. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's true. You know, if, if that is true, what Arteta said as well, and again, look, I haven't seen the interview yet, but then you've got to say that the lack of bravery at times is is costing us. And, and I'd have a lot more respect for the team and for him 
if he just went, this is the way I want to play. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to take the games to teams. And sometimes we're going to have to score multiple goals to get over the line because there's a good chance we're going to concede playing that way. But it's it's so cautious at times. And when it's so cautious and you're still conceding stupid goals, it's very difficult for the fans to get behind that. If you're really cautious and you keep clean sheets, people say that's pragmatism and that's a good thing. But if you're so cautious so that it handicaps your attacking play and then you go and give away two cheap goals like we did tonight, then it's a problem, isn't it? And and you can see why people are struggling uh, maybe to get behind Mikel Arteta and, and what he's doing. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, just wanted to, before we continue, just wanted to quickly touch on Mike Dean's performance as well. He's a shambles of a referee, that man. He's awful. Awful. And not because there was any, you know, all right, I think that MacArthur probably should have been sent off. I do. I genuinely think that. Um, but it wasn't even so much of that for me. You know, I think that with, with referees, they can dictate the outcome of the game or contribute to the outcome of the game without necessarily doing anything massively big, massively controversial. Or, or massively significant, but it's a, a totting up process of lots of stupid little things that can really stop a team kind of progressing, stop a team kind of finding their rhythm. And I felt like he he wasn't any help to us tonight, Mike Dean. Um, not that I expect him to be helped, but I expect him to be fair. And I thought that at times he was unfair. You saw MacArthur go around the pitch and chop people down on multiple occasions in the first half, not shown a card, wasn't shown a card until that incident with Bukayo Saka. Yet Bukayo Saka himself made one foul, and he was, um, you know, he was carded straight away. It's frustrating. He tried to play advantage a few times, and the advantages that he played were so bad that he then couldn't bring it back for the free kick. And the team who should have had the free kick were then at a disadvantage. It, it was a mess. Um, you know, the standard of refereeing is is something that I've been banging on about for years. I'm not saying Mike Dean is why we didn't win the game. It's not an excuse. But his performance was was a, was a shambles, I thought. It was shocking. Really bad. Uh, let's take a couple more questions because it is getting crazy late. Coming up to half past midnight here um, in the UK, in London. Uh, not long got back from the Emirates Stadium at the time of recording. Absolutely cream crackered. Uh, got an early start tomorrow as well. Busy day to come, busy week uh, to come. So uh, hoping to catch some some sleep. And with two kids under the age of uh, three in the house, I'm not sure that that is going to necessarily happen the way I'd like it to. Um, what else have we got? Uh, what midfield would you go for? Uh, do you bring El Nenny in in Jacker's absence? Says Messi to Y. No, I, look, I would have played Lekonga from the start. I said that, um, you know, during the uh, during the preview show, I think that was proved right. I think all the concerns I had about what MacArthur, Milivojevic and Gallagher could do to a midfield of Odegaard and Partey came to be true. Um, you know, I think it was clear, it was obvious that that was going to be the case. And I'm, I'm really disappointed that we didn't see it from the beginning. As I said, Mikel rectified it at half time and he rectified it before Palace equalized. Unfortunately, uh, Lokonga was one of the players that made a really poor mistake. Um but I, I just El Neni's not the future. You know, and, and if you're looking for to the future and that is the route that we've chosen to go down, then you can't waste your time giving people like Mohamed El Neni minutes. There's a balance to be found between using the players you have at your disposal as best as you can to give you the best chance of getting a result, but also needing to to work on what's going to happen in the long term. I, I don't think Elneny is good enough to give you all that much, not enough to justify blocking the development of somebody like Sambi Lekonga. And I, that, that's my view um, on that one. Uh, Josh says, should Martinelli have been bought on sooner? Not sure. Um, Look lively, as he always does, took on a couple of players, but again, didn't really have all that much of an impact, not digging him out for it because it was, um, you know, very, very difficult in terms of the circumstances. So, um, 
Yeah, let's uh, let's take this final one. Uh, Mickey Morris says, Harry, do you think we lost the game because we played badly or was it individual errors by certain players? We didn't play well, but we don't lose the game if we don't make the individual errors. So it's impossible to ignore those. And it's impossible to ignore the, the impact that they've had. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we're still not creating enough, that we still look clueless, that we're relying too heavily on young players who are yet to hit the level uh, required if we want to push for the Champions League and push for the Europa League. And and so the problems are much, much deeper. But yeah, frustrating night at the Emirates Stadium. Really frustrating night at the Emirates Stadium. Came to the end of the game and Arsenal obviously uh, nicked that equaliser and there's, there's big scenes of celebration. And I'm kind of happy on the one hand, but also feeling guilty about the fact that I'm celebrating us salvaging a draw at home to Crystal Palace. And I'm in this kind of weird place tonight where I don't really know what to feel about that. Maybe um, when I watch it back, um, maybe when I, uh, you know, put together the tactical analysis show tomorrow, I'll be um, I'll be able to see things a little bit more clearly and I'll be able to be a little bit more concise in some of my points and a little bit more specific in terms of what went wrong in my view. But for now, I'm going to leave you all. I'm going to hit the sack. Um, good night to all of you that are watching us live. Thank you for all tuning in. I know it's a crazy hour, so really, really appreciate you all um, staying up and joining me. Big thank you to everybody who's going to listen to this back via podcast platforms. You are equally appreciated. I'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. So until next time, take care and stay safe. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.